0: Today's Data Knots episode is brought to you in part by IT Pro TV, bingeworthy learning of the most in demand IT certs. Visit slash data and use code Data Knots to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off your monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. <laughs>
1: This is a fairly constant feeling when it comes to piloting a galaxy-class battle cruiser around the galaxy. From dealing with personnel requests to battling evil lizard droids in Sector 8, the job can weigh you down. Perhaps you can relate to this with your job and are curious as to what might be done about it. Hark, my nerdy friends, for you have once again chosen to adventure forth with your trusty Datanaut colleagues. Howdy. I am Chris Wall. You can follow me at Chris Wall on Twitter. With me is my co-host, who can juggle at least one bowling pin at a time, Ethan Banks. He's at ECBanks on Twitter, and this is the Data Nuts podcast. You can find this in all of our shows on iTunes, in your favorite podcatcher, or at Packapushers.net. Now, let's go ahead and introduce our special guest, and then let's dive deep into the stressful pit. Eric Shanks, welcome back. For those that haven't heard one of the shows you've been on, who are you, what do you do? Hi, I'm Eric Shanks.
2: I'm a senior solutions architect with a consulting company out of Chicago uh, called AHEAD. I also run a
1: blog called theitholo.com, so that's what I do in my spare time. Yeah, and you win the cool logo with the tree, the digital tree thing. That's really neat. I have one of your stickers on my on my device. So today's show is a little bit about work stress and feeling stress, and I wanted to open it up with a little bit of a blog post that you wrote that kind of kicked this whole conversation off. The blog post is called The Dark Side of Stress. And essentially setting this, let's set the stage, you you were looking forward to a relaxing weekend, you're going to unwind, enjoy time with friends and family, and work just wouldn't let go. You were saying like, was I broken? Was there something wrong? Why am I obsessing over work? Why are you stressing out? Talk about that experience. What was that like? Yeah, so
2: I had planned some vacation time with my family months ago, and we were going to go to Disney, and I was really excited about it. And Friday came along, I was done with work. Saturday and Sunday, I was expecting to just kind of zone out for a little bit before we traveled down to Disney World. And I found that Saturday and Sunday, I still didn't feel relaxed. I was kind of expecting to have this euphoric moment right when I was done with work for the week and I had a whole week off and I could spend time with my family. And I didn't really feel that, you know, I was like, why am I not relaxing? And I felt, I felt worse, honestly, because I thought that I should be relaxing right now and I couldn't. So then I was like, well, what's wrong with me? I started focusing more on that and was like, well, I should be, I should be relaxing. I need to relax harder, right? <laughs> and, and, and the fact that I couldn't relax and I was trying to relax made things even worse for me. So I was just like, what is, what is wrong with me? So
1: you immediately went to a kind of engineering mode. Like, okay, there's a problem. I'm not relaxing. And therefore, simply by engaging on this problem mentally, like, you can't relax. So it's a bit of a catch-22. Right, exactly. I'm troubleshooting my own problem with not being able to relax. Are there any cables or adapters required for that? Or is it kind of wireless? No, wait, that's a bad joke. Okay, so so knowing that there's a reason going on was really the driver. It wasn't so much that there was a stressor. It was, you know, why am I stressed and, and digging into that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, was, there
2: were things going on at work and I was just kind of put those aside for a little bit and go on my vacation and relax for a week and not think about work. And I, what I found out was I couldn't just give up on work right away.
0: Well, was it just that, I mean, we all have that, right? You go, you go on vacation, and then if you were in the middle of some project or something, it's not like you can just leave it all behind necessarily. So was it just that, or, or was there more to it?
2: No, I think it was just kind of a normal weekend. But this time, I was focusing on the fact that I should just be relaxing this weekend. So I, I kind of did what any engineer would do, right? And when I've got a problem in front of me, the first thing I did was Google it. Um, literally I'm going to Google and I'm asking I'm on vacation. Why can't I relax? And I got some, some results back and I thought they were really interesting and maybe something that the audience might want to learn about because they helped me essentially a long time ago (laughs) in a galaxy far, far away, this Russian psychologist named Bluma Zygernik started studying a phenomenon about how our brains are able to remember uncompleted or interrupted tasks better than completed tasks. So her professor, Kurt Lewin, had observed that waiters were very good at tracking unpaid orders, but after they were paid, the waiters had a very difficult time remembering details about them. Hmm. So she went on to do some more studies on this, and she was able to reproduce this uh, many, many times and found that basically your brain does a really good job of remembering unfinished tasks. But once you complete them, it kind of forgets about them. So between Zygernick and Lewin they determine that there's a task-specific tension along with each one of those uncompleted tasks that your brain won't let go of.
0: Oh, so I, I, and you are a task tracker, I'm going to guess. like uh, I use Todoist, so all the tasks that I have in whatever state they're in are in Todoist. There's a task item, and then I use the comments in Todoist to track where I'm at with this, how much progress have I made on this task. So it's not just that my brain, according to... Oh, I mean, how do we pronounce this? The Zygnaric effect is going to remember those completed tasks. I'm actually documenting their state of completion. So it's even worse. Yeah, I'm actually finding, and I I,
2: I don't track tasks enough. It's always felt like busy work to me. Like I was, I'm going to write these tasks down so I can show that I'm, I've got these under control and I can show somebody else that I've got these tasks done. So I usually keep those things in my brain. And I, I found out basically that that is actually making things worse because now my brain is focusing on the fact that I have to keep track of all these tasks as well. Where if I would basically just kind of write these down and put them on a list somewhere, I could like get them out of my brain for a little while and know that they're handled someplace else.
1: That resonates with me because I've noticed something similar. And like Ethan, I use Todoist. And and honestly, it's not a plug for the the list tracking app. There's all sorts of different ones out there. But I found... The same thing, like my brain would just kind of continuously cycle through this list of like, all right, these are the 12 things I need to do. This is the first one. This is the second one. All the way down to the 12th one. What was the first one? And it just takes up a lot of cycles in my noodle. And that's largely why I started embracing Todoist so much because I feel like the data has a persistent state. And if I could remove that out of my brain and put it somewhere else, then that frees up kind of logical mind space for for other things. So it it resonates with me when you tell the story, Eric. Yeah, I think if I was really better at it, you know,
2: I would sleep better and things at night. If before I went to bed, I just went and said, okay, these are the things I have to do for tomorrow, and these are the things that I've still got open right now, and just wrote them down someplace. If it was a diary or some sort of a task list or in a uh, an application or something, I would feel better about things. But I just haven't been in a habit of doing it in the past.
0: Going through the notes here and in, in the blog post that you wrote about this, Eric, you mentioned the Zygnaric effect. Zygarnik. Oh, my word. The Zygarnik effect is a form of cognitive bias. Now, when I think of a cognitive bias, I think, oh, you grew up this way or with this set of beliefs, and so your brain is kind of predisposed to view this world event or whatever it is in this particular way, and that's a, a cognitive bias. Is that what we're talking about here with the Zygarnik effect or something else?
2: Yeah, they're they're definitely related. So essentially, anytime your brain can't let go of something, you're you're constantly thinking about it. And You've probably had this happen to you in the past, right? You, you've started working on a problem, maybe for a customer or in your own lab or whatever, right? We're engineers. You work on it for a while, and you can't find the answer to it. And eventually, you you can't work on it any longer. You have family responsibilities. You have to go do something else. And you have to put it down for a little while. And you put it down, and you go do something else, and you're not thinking about it. And all of a sudden, you have this epiphany. You're like, oh, that's the answer. This is what I need to do. Like some sort of episode of house or something where he finds (laughs) the answer to his uh, medical issue from, you know, playing golf or doing something else. Right. But it's never lupus
1: though. It's never
2: lupus. It's (laughs) a lot of times lupus (laughs) on that show. But essentially you think of the answer when you're not actively working on the problem. I mean, you, you probably experienced this yourself where you're finding these answers out because your brain's still thinking about those things, even if you aren't actively doing it.
1: Interesting. I have read the post and you do highlight there's a few times where you could just kind of slough it off, you know, when you were focusing on you know photo opportunities with your your wife and kid and and things like that. So there are moments where I guess you can totally fool yourself and maybe it creeps down to subconscious, but I'm just curious, were there any specific observations made where you're like, okay, this is no longer just something that's irritating me. I now have to dig deeper because it's impacting my my enjoyment with my family, or was there any point where you're just like, this is the observation that I made, and this is why I need to learn more about it and, and really tackle it.
2: Yeah, that actually happened to me basically the first day into vacation where I was I was kind of just sitting around the house. Like we, we hadn't left for vacation yet. I wasn't doing work anymore. You know, I was kind of refusing to do anything related to work for the week. And I was like, why can't I, I still can't relax. And it was, it was driving me nuts. So that's when I started to dig deeper. And when I basically found these blog posts and, and found out that there's a psychological phenomenon around this, it kinda of, it helped me to understand that look, this isn't just me being broken or or having an issue with something. This is a, a real thing that affects everybody. And people have studied this and said, well, this is basically what happens. So it's no longer me feeling broken, but me trying to find ways that I can use this effect or get around this effect so that I can be happy when I'm, you know, on vacation. <laughs>
0: You mentioned not being able to relax, just sitting around the house. You should be able to make the break, but you couldn't, couldn't relax. Are are there other key indicators that are telling you, uh, I'm getting stressed out. Stress is creeping in on me.
2: Yeah. I think that's the tricky part. I I don't know that I necessarily see those very often, you know, maybe family members and things see this, you know, I'm irritable or, you know, like, like I'm not sleeping quite as well, or You know, I'm a little bit more distant or something, but myself, I don't really see those things. So until I'm on vacation and trying to relax and can't, I don't really realize what's happening in the background. I think that's why stress is one of those things that's kind of tough to deal with because we don't even know sometimes that we're stressed.
0: Just curious, what's your sleep like? Are you a person that can sleep good or do you struggle with consistent sleep?
2: I usually sleep pretty well. I kind of always slept pretty well, but I, you know, stay up late from time to time and wake up early and I kind of deal with that. But once I'm asleep, I usually stay asleep.
0: That's one of my things is when I'm stressed out, sleep is it's hard for me to get to sleep and my sleep tends to be lighter. And if I wake up for whatever reason, I'm screwed for the next hour, hour and a half. My brain will be spinning on whatever it is that's got me wound up until I can finally uh, get back to sleep again. But I know that's not the same for everybody. That's one of my uh,
1: my indicators. Is that where you, you wake up in a, in like a cold sweat and you see like, I don't know, SSH terminals to a switch and like, <laughs>
0: oh, I forgot to disable Telnet. No, Nothing know. as ugly <laughs> as that. Oh no, my goodness. No.
1: <laughs> We've talked about that you sensed there was a problem and that you did some research, but what did you do to combat the issue so that you could kind of take back some of your leisure time in this particular instance? Yeah. So as soon
2: as I knew that there was a problem and it, this wasn't just me. Um, I knew there was some kind of, there was a little bit of help, right? And there's some mind hacks that you can do around some of this. One of those I found was you can't just passively relax. I like to watch the Cubs. I'm a, a Cubs fan. So I'll sit and watch a baseball game. But when I'm doing that, my brain's still going on stuff. If I focus my brain on actually doing some sort of active task, maybe I'm playing video games or, you know, I'm out, you know, playing baseball or something like that, my brain can't stop and worry about the stresses that are going on and the owner, those, those tasks I haven't completed because my brain's focusing on something else at the time. So passive relaxation is a problem for me and I have to like actively relax. I guess if that's a thing and yes, you know, do something fun instead that my brain's going to be occupied with.
1: Yeah, I, I'm totally, I'm totally with you because for those listening, maybe, maybe don't know, I don't have any TV or anything. I don't subscribe to Hulu or whatnot because I, I find that whole process pretty boring. I don't like to be passive in most of those environments, I would much rather be actively engaging something. It's kind of similar. It just puts me into that zone out world where I can kind of just enjoy or consume what's going on and not kind of worry about the other things. Maybe that's a... <laughs> do you ever use that as a, as a cornerstone for an argument to get you know, video games and whatnot at work? Like, hey, guys, really stressed out. I need to play some Halo. I haven't used it yet, but again, I've just kind of
2: started to learn about these other things that are going on and the psychological phenomenon. So, you know, anything could happen.
0: I have wondered from time to time, seriously, if I should go see a professional to help me cope with stress. And so hearing that the struggle related to stress is is pretty common. Eric's written about it here. We've been chatting with him and there's been other blog posts I've read over time. It makes me feel less like I need a professional, which is comforting. Not to say that, that maybe couldn't help in certain circumstances, but it is just nice to know that my fellow humans are in the same boat as I am dealing with stress. Uh, although maybe it's kind of an indictment on today's society. Maybe we're all working too hard. I don't know. What, uh, what got your attention, Chris?
1: Well, I certainly have no qualms with seeking professional help. And if that's where you need to go, do it. Uh, So those out there, I fully support that. There's nothing wrong with you at all. I've been in that boat. I I think so far the conversation has shown that, you know, the mental capacity that we have to handle anything, it's capped. There's a specific volume. Once we reach that, we're done. And uh, kind of the, the nerdy takeaway I had was anything you can do to offload that mundane information from your mind and loaded into something that excels at storing data like a task tracking app that's a good path to take
0: Before we go back to the show you should know about IT Pro TV This is online on demand training that helps you certify in a variety of programs including Certified Ethical Hacker version 9 AWS Certified Solutions Architect Associate AWS Certified SysOps Administrator, and then Cisco certs like CCNA and CCNP, Microsoft certs like MCSA and MCSE, and VMware, VCP6 Data Center Virtualization, and many more. The course library has something for you whether you're brand new to the industry and you're just trying to skill up fast, or maybe you've been around for a while and you want to stay sharp. IT Pro TV keeps the course library current, recording new content live every day. And they are hoping you will find it binge-worthy learning. You can consume the courses pretty much any way you want. You can stream either the live courses or the on-demand courses from your desktop, mobile device, Apple TV, Roku, and Fire TV. And now the big question, what about pricing? Well, premium subscriptions, which include unlimited Kaplan practice exams and virtual apps, are normally eight fifty-seven dollars per year. But when you use code Datanots, you'll only pay $600 per year. Standard subscriptions and corporate memberships are also available, so choose a plan, create an account, and learn. Visit itpro.tv data and use code DATANOTS to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off your monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. One more time, itpro.tv data and use code DATANOTS. And now, back to the show. All right, Eric. So you did the research. You found out that Zygarnik exists. That's an effect. It's a cognitive bias that results. So give us some tips on how to take this – I don't know. Would you call it a weakness, maybe a perceived weakness? How do you take that situation, that perceived weakness, and then turn it into a strength? Yeah. So I don't know if it's necessarily a weakness or not.
2: It's just something that's happening um, that maybe we weren't aware of. One of the cool things you can do with this, though, is you can use it to your advantage for for things like studying, right? So if you're studying for an exam or a test or something like that, and you know it's going to be tough, you focus on an area for a little while and you take a break. That break is actually helpful to you because your brain is going to continue to work on that while you're taking the break. If it's a task you haven't completed yet, your brain will still fixate on that until it's complete. So if you kind of, you know, study for something for a while and you're like, I need to know this. I got to know this. And you learn everything about it before you do anything else. You've completed it, right? You're like, I don't know the answer to this. I found the answer to this. Move on. If you did, I don't know the answer to this. I'm going to look into it for a little bit. And then I'm going to take a break. Your brain still focuses on that for a while. And then when you come back, you might be able to complete that task, but your brain thought about that for a long enough period of time that you might be able to use that to your advantage during your test. Your brain will be able to recall that better. Than if you had just found the answer and moved on.
0: So in other words, taking that break, you're saying was uh, is going to help things.
2: Yeah, it can, right? So you're going to have a certain amount of stress associated with not knowing the answer to something if you're if you're studying for a test.
0: Yeah,
2: but you're going to complete that right away. So it's kind of the opposite thing that happened with me on vacation. I had open tasks that I had to kind of just leave, and I went on vacation, and I was trying to relax, but my brain was still working on those things. I can use that same thing in reverse where I'm going to study something for a little bit and I'm going to have an open task that my brain can't let go of. And I'm going to take a break and let my brain keep noodling on that for a while while I'm doing something else. So then when I get to the test, my brain has thought about that for a longer period of time and it's got a connection basically with me looking that up,
0: which is going to aid your information recall. Exactly. Yeah. I've read some studies that talk about memory and how memory works. And for, uh, there's a, an effect where if you study something, you memorize it, you learn it, and then forget about it for a day and then bring that up again. And it reinforces that connection. Then let it go for a few days or maybe a week and go after that information a third time. And the, it forms a, a more deep bond and easier to recollect bond in your mind for that information. Uh, right. That's a, so I agree with you there just from some of the other things that I've run into. It's an easy way, not an easy way. It's a, it's a strategy that can help, especially with some of the esoteric information that we need to commit to memory, trying to pass certification exams, let's say.
2: Right. And think about it this way. You, you probably, all of us have probably taken an exam at some point and we studied really hard for it to take the exam. And then as soon as the exam was over, maybe you forget it, right? you, <laughs> it. You don't use it all the time. You learned it just for the exam. Well, your brain hasn't made that connection that says that this is a super important thing and I need to, it has to, I have to always remember this thing. So you can probably experience this on your own. You've probably seen this.
0: so true. I mean, in different certification exams that I've done over the years, the things I was using at work, the things that were actually a part of the network that I was supporting were things that were much more easy for me to recall than the things that's like, I've never used this in a production environment. And uh, trying to memorize it for the test was much harder. Having to use it in, in real life meant that the connections were were stronger and it was easier to recall that information.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like this could be as simple as even like meeting people, right? If you can't remember names very well, but you can now put a name to a face. Now your brain has this connection between two things that it's easier for it to remember.
1: Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about something we talked about earlier, task management and a, a tool. Now, I know you mentioned that in some cases, you're not a huge fan of a tool or at least maybe early on, just because it felt like work for work's sake, or that there's work. It, it's a, It almost feels like a waste, right? You're doing work to track something so you can do other work. But I, I I don't know. I've always felt like that de-stresses me and I place a value on that. So going back to, you're talking about different tools that are potentially out there, Jira, Trello, Todoist, whatever. Do you find that that act of writing it down does help you feel less stressed? And And do you have a process for understanding what to capture and where to put it? Yeah, so I have been
2: pretty bad about tracking my own tasks. And I, I think that causes some of my stress. And it's absolutely true that when I start writing down those tasks, even when I think that's kind of a silly process, I feel less stressed. So I should just do it all the time, is is basically my message to myself, right? I should go every night and write down all the tasks that I'm going to have for the next day. And I'll feel better because I've got them in a list someplace and I don't have to keep noodling on them. Right. I think like the method that you keep those tasks could be anything. It could be a diary. It could be an application. It could You could put it in JIRA. You could put it in, you know, a Kanban board of some sort, whatever. Uh, I think the most important thing is just put them down someplace so that your brain doesn't have to think about them and you can relax and do other things.
1: That's fair. Are there any characteristics that you specifically looked for or are looking for with a task management tool? Because I, I know just hearing the word diary, I'm thinking dead tree. And uh, if I were to write things into it, I would no longer be able to, it would be encrypted because my handwriting is only one way. It only gets written. It can't be read.
2: (laughs) Yeah. For a task management software, I actually don't even care. It could be as simple as I open up Notepad and I've got a bulleted list there of just tasks I need to complete. If there's some place that I can save them, that's great. So I guess if I'm looking for a specific tool that I'm trying to keep my tasks straight in, it would be something that I can use on my, my Windows desktop at home, my laptop when I'm I'm uh, traveling, my iPhone, you know, when I'm, you know, in the airport or something, something that I can update kind of anywhere. And it's not very difficult for me to do.
0: So Eric, how do you make sure to plug in new items into your task tool, uh, especially when you're in a, a, a non-work setting? Because, you know, you talk about the, having your iPhone and so on. There you are. You're at dinner with the family. And then, boom, this thing pops in your head. They're like, oh, yeah, I got to take care of that. I mean, do you just grab the phone and then you know put that into whatever your list or your tracking tool? Or is that sort of like – I mean, that's kind of rude. I mean, we're getting to a point in society where actually when you're with people in, in real time, it's starting to be a little rude to be taking out your phone because shouldn't you be talking to the person in front of you? So how do you make sure you, you get all those new items into your task tool?
2: Yeah. So if it's if it's a work related thing, that's one thing, because in that case, I can you know, there's a new project that comes up, I can start writing down tasks immediately. And it's not that big a deal. If it's a social thing, or you know, if I'm at home, that's a little bit different. And I'll be honest, a lot of times that is, oh, I got to remember to do this. And then sometime later in the day, I need to write that down. Because otherwise, I'll just keep thinking in my head, you need to remember to do this. Have you done that yet? You need to remember to do this. Have <laughs> yeah. you done that yet? Yeah. And it will drive me slowly insane, right? Until I write it down. My brain, the way, the way at least it works for me, is I'll keep thinking about that thing until I get it written down. And then I'll relax a little bit. And then I can look at it the next day or when I think I'm, I've am i got an open time where I can go and complete it.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, I've got to get get it as a task pretty much immediately because the way my brain works is a pretty good chance I'm going to lose it, whatever that item is. And it depends. There's different kind of things I track. So some things I track are d- to-do items. I must accomplish this thing, and there's probably a due date associated with it, and so on. You know, and I don't want to forget those things. So it just, I'll just actually say to you know, my wife or the, you know the family, hey, just get give, something just popped in my head. Give me a minute. I got to put this in my phone, and everyone's pretty understanding about that. Um, other things are just ideas that I don't want to lose. I'm in a world of having to create all the time. I got to write something. I'm going to record a podcast. There's a bit of research that needs to get done for something I'm preparing for. And that's another thing. I'll lose it if I don't write that thing down, whether it's just a tidbit of inspiration that uh, that struck me and I I want to hang on to that. I don't know, man. The, I, my, I wish my brain worked like yours. you were just describing where, ah, it's going to keep bothering me until I get it written down. No, I will lose it if I don't write it down. It's got to happen. And the worst is when I'm falling asleep and something pops in my head because by morning it's it's going to be gone. I've lost a lot of things that way.
2: Well, I think it, sometimes it's a double-edged sword, right? It, sometimes I would love to just be able to just forget things for a while and not, like, keep focusing on them. But I think just the way that I my brain works – like if there's a new project or something that comes up from work, I'll immediately start working on it. it, it I'm not a procrastinator. I won't leave things for the end, end of a project. I start them immediately. But if I think back to this, the psychological phenomenon that we were talked about earlier is if I've started that project, as soon as I got it, I'm going to keep thinking about it until it's completed. So it'll slowly drive me mad until I'm able to get it completed. So you can use that to your, your advantage if you're a procrastinator, start it right away, and your brain should keep thinking about it. And if you kind of have the opposite effect, maybe let it go for a little bit and start it a little bit later, because your brain should keep thinking on it.
1: One thing that that kind of smacked me in the face a little bit when I read your post was around multitasking. I've done some content around what's called context switching, which is really what is going on to the covers Uh, What's your position on that as far as inefficiencies? You know, do you believe people can context switch efficiently? Is it based on kind of who you are? uh, Or do you have an opinion that context switching, you know, bouncing back from task to task uh, in your brain does have a negative effect on productivity, maybe maybe for you specifically?
2: Yeah, so I think you're absolutely right about multitasking. And it's very difficult for your brain to multitask on anything, right? They've, They've shown studies where even just sorting shapes and things is very difficult for you to do if you're doing something else at the same time. So we're really talking about context switching. I think this kind of depends on what your job is. Some things you could context switch on pretty easily, but like if somebody gives me two pieces of code or two different projects to work on and I have to code both of them, there's no way I can work on both of those at the same time. And if I switch from one to the other, I have to stop all the time and relearn where I was at in the last, the last time I picked up on that project. Right. I think we learned from like the Phoenix project on how it's bad to have work in progress. Right. If if you've got a bunch of things happening at the same time, these queue up and you can't get things done. The same happens when you get a bunch of work that, you know, you have to write documents for and things like that. Sure. You may have downtime that you have to switch from one to the other, but you have to go and relearn where you were at with that thing. And you may have forgotten things that you had meant to do. I think your brain really has a hard time with it.
0: Yeah, I strongly agree with that. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of studies that have been done on this that explain how your brain struggles mightily to multitask or or, or context switch is the is really the best way to put it. We all have to multitask to some degree, but but the switching from task to task really makes your productivity go down. One more question for you, Eric. Uh, though Eric, about really large tasks, like a lot of us have projects. You know, the project might have a title of. The server upgrade, which is a massive thing that touches all kinds of stuff, and 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 until it's done, and this is going to be a multi-month project possibly to get done whatever the big thing is. How do you deal with that? You know, having that thing on your mind that's going to take many months. It's not really one item; it's a whole lot of items, I guess.
2: Yeah. So I found that that, you know, I may put something down on a task list that says server upgrade, but really what I do at that point is as soon as I get the opportunity to put it in something like JIRA or some sort of a Kanban board, I'm going to break that out into as many tasks as possible, right? Because I only want to work on one or two of those things at a time and I need to keep track of everything, but just server upgrade might be way too much for my brain to, to think about. So if I can write all of the tasks for that server upgrade down as maybe a hundred different tasks, I'm doing this right now with a cloud project. I've got a hundred different items I need to do just to build somebody's AWS environment. And it really helps to have them all in those subtasks because I can see progress being made all the time. Right. I, I see one task I got to do. I start working on it. I complete it. My brain can then stop thinking about that and then focus on the next thing as opposed to, hey, is server upgrade still not done? No. Keep thinking about it. So having a bunch of small tasks is really helpful to me.
1: I could see the concerns over, quote, you know, like doing work stuff, such as tracking tasks when, you know, you're around family or friends or coworkers or whatever. Like I have a very strict, like no phone while eating dinner kind of thing. I don't like to be unplugged when I'm with my, my people. And I tend to be very verbose when I need to do something like track a task in front of them. I will say literally out loud, hey, everyone, I'm pulling out my phone. I'm going to take a note because I don't want to forget what you just told me. And then I do it and put it away. And I think that ensures no one thinks I'm just, you know, firing up a game of Clash Royale or something when they're talking. What were you thinking about, Ethan?
0: Oh, the point uh, uh, on context switching. And I have read quite a lot on this. And context switching is not good for your your productivity. It's not what your brain is good at. You end up taking yourself out of... Uh, flow, flow being that state where the thoughts are coming readily to you, you're able to focus deeply on a task and make a lot of progress. So there's a book here, if you're interested in this topic, Uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport goes heavy in on this topic and context switching is one of the things he goes after. He has a a study and a lot of data that talks about how constantly jumping from, say, social media and then email to major project-focused work means that the quality and the productivity of your projects, uh, in other words, deep work, is really going to suffer. Again, it's not really what your brain is good at.
1: You know, the field of technology can be pretty weird, right? And and sometimes I say that having stepped out and talked to people that are in our field. But we're expected to give a lot to the tasks that we're doing, a lot of time spent studying, usually after hours learning outside of work a lot of travel like it's it's definitely not for the the faint of heart or folks that don't really want to like travel and learn and and keep riding up that escalator that's coming down against us so knowing that eric do you feel that others are experiencing similar stresses knowing that like so far ethan and i have kind of said yeah we're nodding our heads and definitely giving you the thumbs up through the podcast but you know is this something where you felt other people were also expressing it yeah. I
2: don't know if other people are necessarily expressing it. And when I wrote the post, I was like, this is affecting me. And I think that these things I've found out about this psychological phenomenon have have helped me. I should write them down because I don't think that I'm the only person that this is happening to. I- I've seen recently uh, a series of posts. I saw one from Eric Lee on IT burnout, which kind of got me thinking about this thing in the first place. And it was useful just to hear that, you know, somebody else was having the experience of burnout with IT and you know, I'm not kind of alone on that when when that happens. And uh, I also saw Luigi Danicos uh, do a V brown bag uh, last week, I think, uh, on beating the workplace blues. So I have to see I have to assume there's some evidence that that I'm not alone in this. Um,
1: yeah, there's, there's some data points that are saying, Okay, maybe not the same story. But and I read some of the similar content that you had, I think there was some links at the end of your blog, too, which which was nice to to share the story. But I feel like one of the challenges that we have in IT, I I talked a lot about the travel and the work and and after work study and whatnot, but it's just um, we tend to not necessarily talk about this sort of stuff. You know, as an example, we had a show recently with uh, Don Jones talking about mentorship and being the master and apprentice. And a lot of people ended up poking, you know, poking that apart a little bit and reaching out to us saying they like that kind of show, which is why we're trying to do more shows that kind of bust the emotional and stress silos that we have to deal with. So I mean, A, kudos the fact that you've linked to those and brought them up, but also B, I'm happy to see other data points coming out and people sharing the trials and tribulations they're going through because it's always easier when you've got a squad of people that have gone through it or are going through it that you can kind of, you know, hey, this is what I did. What are you doing? That sort of jazz. So basically, it's not a question, but a kudos for putting that out there because I I definitely feel like others experience these stresses, myself included. Yeah,
2: thanks. I I got a lot of uh, positive feedback from the blog post that I did, and and it was kind of validation that okay, this is happening to other people too, and hopefully this is helpful. I'm really hoping that it kind of starts a conversation about this because stress is one of those things that's very difficult for people to talk about. It's pretty common. I've seen it on a lot of resumes that the very first thing on there is ability to multitask. Okay, you're trying to say that you can do a lot of you can handle multiple projects at one time, right? But you know, multitasking itself is Typically bad, right? So if you're saying, look, I've got too many things going on at one time, what are you telling your employer? That you can't handle any more projects? Does the employer think that, oh, this person can't handle the job. Do we need to find somebody else? So I I feel like sometimes people just shut up and kind of deal with it on their own and nobody talks about it and you don't necessarily get help for it. The other situation is, you know, stress from my fairly high paying or well-paying IT job is not that important, considering some of the other things that I could be facing, like not being able to pay my mortgage or some sort of you know oppression from something you know i this is kind of a, a minor thing, but it affects a lot of us in I think this field
0: i i don't know I think it could be more than um than minor i i I know what your point is, Eric right there are people in the world that are dealing with Life-threatening things or or significant quality of life-threatening things, if not your actual life itself, and so right, it, job stress is comparatively minor. But at the same time, I do think it's a it's a really big deal. Now, you mentioned that post by Eric Lee. I, I had read that too. I mean, it went it made the rounds on Twitter, right? I think a lot of people saw that link and read through that. And it was a long article. He has a lot of thoughts and thought-provoking ideas in there. So a couple of quotes. Now, his article was, well, I mean, it was stress-related, but he was very focused on burnout and IT burnout. He calls the article, my trudge through IT burnout and the fight to keep it at bay. A couple of quotes from that, I would vocally snap or make snide comments to my wife for anything that bothered me, even the littlest things. Not large outbursts, just snarky comments. Then another quote, I no longer wanted to do things that we used to do. I didn't care to go to the movies anymore, mainly because I couldn't focus on it anyway, so why go? So related to that, Eric, I'm wondering if you find a difference between stress and being burned out, or is like stress on the path to burnout? How do you distinguish those things?
2: Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily distinguish them from a work focus, right? Like I think there's work stresses, and you can you can certainly be burned out from work. But um, I think a certain level of stress can cause you to have issues with work or family or any of those other things. I think that the, your level of stress and the number of things you're doing doesn't have to be work related. It could be, you know, I got a sick family member or I've got, uh, you know, I'm building a new house and I've got all these tasks to do. And so those are weighing down on me while I'm trying to do my work job. You know, I, I think there's a relationship there. I don't necessarily know what that relationship is. I don't know how tightly
0: coupled they are. So you wouldn't say necessarily just because you're stressed, you're, uh, you're, you're burned out. Those are in your mind, those are distinct things.
2: Right, absolutely. So I think stress is maybe possibly a short term type thing, right? I think of IT burnout as a th- like I've been stressed for a really long time, and now I don't. <laughs> I- I've lost my passion for the job that I'm doing anymore, right?
0: Oh gosh, that is just yes. I identify with that comment very much. Where well, like I was saying at the top of the show, I just got to this point of this is just normal. Uh, I don't know if I said it on the show before we were uh, before we actually started recording, but. I got to a point in the career where being stressed out was so normal that I didn't realize it wasn't normal. I didn't realize it was abnormal, that I'd gotten to this state of what I would call burnout. I identified it in in this way someone would give me one more task to do that didn't seem like it should be a big deal. But th- that was it. It put me over the top. I All of a sudden, I was angry or frustrated or or bitter or resentful or all of those things just because of the one more thing. Well, it wasn't the one more thing, really. What it really was, I had so much other stuff going. I was so close to maximum capacity that that one more thing put me over the top, and I just couldn't deal with it anymore. And everything that I was trying to hold in and keep together just kind of would come unraveled and uh, i would have you know emotional outbursts or just this feeling of screw it i'm done with all of this i can't deal with it anymore you know and just that the desire to like walk out the door and not come back uh, i saw somebody tweet a while ago that they had this fantasy i think it was it had been retweeted a lot so i don't know who the original tweeter was but i'm going to walk in the woods today and not come back that was their their big idea and so many people are like, why would that be retweeted so many times? Why would that be such a uh, an idea that resonates with people? Because we feel that way in the workplace when we're stressed and, and at, at or near burnout. You just want to walk away and be done with it all. And that's not normal. I don't think that's supposed to be normal. It may be normal because in, in either the technology culture or maybe in America to some degree, we just – we're workaholics. We love to work ourselves to death. But that's not the way life is supposed to be. And I don't think it's the way that we're the most productive, or even if we're productive, I don't think it's the way that we do our, our best work.
2: And I think uh, specifically to our industry, right, it, you've got a certain number of projects and tasks you have to do for work, and everybody's going to kind of have those. But some of your tasks that kind of exist outside of work are still work-related. Like, uh, okay, I did I coded this stuff for for a customer today. Um, and then when I got home, oh, I got to go learn this new technology that's that's coming up. Oh, I got a new containers or DevOps or cloud or virtualization or you know the next thing, right? Just to keep up with your career, you have a list of tasks that are related to your own education that you have to continually keep up with, or kind of you're out of a job eventually, right? It's it's walking up that that down escalator all the time, and you're going to have constantly these new tasks that you have to keep thinking about that are
1: not even related to your daily work, but still related to your job function. Well, let's turn that into some, you know, some ideas on how to combat things. I mean, we talked about the Zygarnik. I'm going to hope I'm not butchering that. Basically, the effect that we tend to remember tasks that aren't finished yet. And we can use that to our advantage. But also in your blog post, you have some ideas on how to deal with the stress that are caused by the effect. So let's dive deeper into those. I mean, the first one I want to tee up was it seemed pretty obvious, but also at the same time, obvious things sometimes can slip on our radar. Decrease your stress levels by managing your open task items. What did you mean by that, Eric?
2: Yeah, so clearly if we've got uh, 50 different things that we're trying to work on at one time, our brain is focusing on 50 different things and you're you're trying to overload it. So if you can limit the number of open tasks that you've got, right? We're limiting our work in process. Our brain can focus on one or two things maybe, uh, get those done. And once they're completed, move on to the next thing. It's much easier for your brain to think of a couple things than it is for 50. So if you can limit that thing, your
1: work and process, uh, that'll help. Yeah, yeah. Work and process is, is the devil. Get rid of it. And the other item that you had regarding the tasks, complete them quickly, write them down, cross them off, or eliminate them to begin with the reduction of your task-based tension. I guess the question there would be, you know, how do you kind of know what to, what to finish off really quickly, what to eliminate, how to get those monkeys off your back, if you will? One of the first things I'll
2: do is if I can break a larger task down into those smaller subtasks once I've got those subtasks, I can say, okay, I can do this one quickly. Let's let's start working on this one. I got it done. Move it over to my completed items. And now I don't have to think about that. So breaking a larger task into a bunch of smaller ones is going to kind of give you that sense of satisfaction. Like, oh, I've already got this done. I'm making progress. So at the end of the day, you know, if your server upgrade isn't done, you can still say, I got these 15 tasks for my server upgrade done. That was a... A pretty useful day. I was pretty successful today and I can leave those other things for the next day as opposed to, hey, is the server upgrade done at the end of the day? No. Okay. So maybe that wasn't a successful day and go back to it the next day. Right. So put yourself in a in a situation where you feel like you're accomplishing something.
1: Yeah. You know, sometimes I will purposely split up tasks into smaller ones like you're talking about, just because I need something to show for my day. You know, I need some kind of win and uh, it may be like you're saying, like install some software and not, not. Well, maybe I did all the work to get the infrastructure set up and the cabling and the color coding of the label or color coding and the labels of the wires. Like that shouldn't all just roll up into install. You know, like those are components that potentially I can give myself the win on. And then that reduces the scope of the task that I'm having to stick into my brain to, oh, I just need to actually go next, next, finish and be done. The other thing you had was around studying, because I noticed a lot of your blog, you're really trying to take advantage of the Zygarnik effect and use it for your own, you know, for, for good instead of evil. Uh, and you're talking about using it to remember to add tests for things you plan to study. So do you delineate between that, like work stuff that you just need to finish versus study stuff, or do they kind of blend in your head? They blend
2: in my head. If I try to, if I write those things down, I'll put them in two different categories, right? So I'll, I'll say, okay, uh, I've got all these work tasks and I'll have them in a different category and I can look at those when I'm, you know, during my normal work day and then at night or on the weekends or something, if I'm looking to do uh, to learn something else, I can I can not look at my work related tasks and go look at hey what what else do I have on my studying agenda that I should go and knock out real quick right? I've got either an hour or I've got a morning or something like that. I can pick from my list and say okay, this is the thing that I think I should focus on right now, and let's we'll see if I can knock it out.
1: Yeah, I really like that one because the the other piece of advice you had was around learning and to to actually take the time, add those to your task list. Don't just leave them in your head. Put those things down. And I'll extend on that. I know one thing I like to do as a trick is uh, specifically assign due dates to those sorts of things. I found that when studying or doing an exam or whatever, it's just like the future, quote unquote, no specific date. I'm a bit of a procrastinator at times. And like, that would never happen. I'd have to add a sense of, you know, kind of urgency, make this an imperative task that I really need to complete. Is that something you do too? Like, uh, how do you decide what do you want to learn and put on your list versus, hey, you know what? I don't care about this. And then how do you make sure to you give yourself a swift kick in the butt so that you get it done?
2: Well, I actually don't have the problem with the, the procrastination. I have kind of the opposite problem. So when I see due dates, they frighten me like oh. <laughs> this. This has to be done by uh, the end of the month. So a week or two weeks before the end of the month, I'll have it done. So I, I've got two extra weeks I could have used on studying for something but the fact that there's a due date associated with it makes me nervous it makes me anxious about that and i have to get it done uh, as early as possible to make sure that i'm not going to miss that deadline right studying is one thing if I, I if i miss a deadline for studying you know what's the big deal for work it's a different thing right if it's due at the end of the month i'm going to make sure i've got it done at least a week early because then if something comes up i've got a week buffer but the, the a deadline itself makes me anxious
1: Well, there we have it. I mean, I feel like I've learned a lot more about cognitive biases and work stress, especially around this new effect, the Zygarnik effect. I really want to know if I'm saying that right. I guess I should have found that out before talking to you about it. But I digress. Thank you very much for taking the time to join the show, Eric. Uh, For those that want to nerd out about their stresses and maybe share their story or come visit your stuff, where are you at on the internet?
2: Yeah, you can find me on my blog at theitholo.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at Eric underscore
1: Shanks. Right on. And that's it for today's edition of the Data Nuts podcast. If you're a social creature, you can follow me. I'm at Chris Wall on Twitter, and my blog is wallnetwork.com. Or my good friend Ethan, he's at ecbanks on the Twitters, and he's blogging over at Packapushers.net. For more of our data knot shows about infrastructure engineering, do a nosedive down the rabbit hole that is packandpushers.net. You'll find us talking about containers, conferences, certifications, PowerShell, cloud, stressors, storage. There's a lot there. Go dive in, drink deep. Until then, may your server lights blink, your work life be balanced, and your cables be cleanly managed.
2: I've been going with a Zygarde, but
0: Zygarnik. none of us are really but I'll be all wrong.